I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. Technological advancements are improving many industries. One example is the finance industry. Trisha Price, EVP of Product Development and Engineering at Encino, gave an overview of the bottlenecks in financial services and examples of how these can be improved with technology. We also talked about cloud-based solutions for banking, leveraging the Salesforce platform. T-shirts to support the show are now available at sudoshirt.com. Go to sudoshirt.com to get a lovely t-shirt with the logo from the show. That's S-U-D-O shirt.com. Thank you. Trisha Price, EVP of Product Development and Engineering at Encino, is joining us today. Trisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. You work in the financial technology space, which is also known as fintech. Can you give an overview of what fintech encompasses? Sure. I think the term fintech is used in a couple of different ways. Sometimes you see it used from a technology provider, typically SaaS these days, but could even be in a more traditional software provider format where they're selling the software to financial services industry players, banks typically, or other financial services institutions like insurance. And then others use the same term to be some of the alternative lenders that you've seen come out, more challengers to the business model in the space, folks who actually might do the functions of a bank themselves, like lending, but they are also a technology provider, and they're really disrupting the industry. In what ways are they disrupting and bringing these new challenges and business models? What are some examples of it in addition to the ones that you just mentioned? Sure. I, I think, you know, and just to just start things off from an Encino perspective, we are really in the former category. We are a software as a service provider of technology to the financial services institutions themselves. But as far as disruption in the fintech field and what we've seen in banking over the last several years is that customers expect speed and convenience. We've all, as consumers, gotten used to the Amazon experience, the Netflix experience, you know what I want before I know it. And with a couple of clicks and taps, I'm able to get fulfillment of a product at my doorstep. And the banking industry took a while to get there in terms of seeing that vision and being able to act on that vision. And I think the alternative lenders came in with the hope to disrupt and provide that same speed and convenience experience to consumers and, and really keep the more traditional banks and financial services institutions on their toes. The interesting thing is, as we broaden the fintech term, lots of different companies like Encino have come out and been able to say, hey, wait, Let's take all the great things about the traditional banks, like their creditworthiness and sound credit decision making, like their ability to have a low cost of funds through their deposits, but give them the latest and greatest technology and be able to still provide their customers with that same experience. We're going to talk in more detail about what Encino is doing in just a second. Before I just want to clarify, you mentioned earlier SaaS and 
being a tech provider. Can you explain what is SaaS for those that aren't familiar with it? Sure. I think if you back up maybe a decade, traditional software was provided by the technology company finishing the code, putting it out there somewhere. I mean, maybe even traditionally on a floppy disk somewhere or in a downloadable format. And the receiver of that software, for our use case, we'll just talk about banks, having to actually have the hardware and all of the infrastructure themselves download that and get it installed. And it's not just as simple as a go live, right? There's new releases, and then they have to take those releases and they have to upgrade it, and they have to be able to fine tune the entire infrastructure stack on their own without the specialized deep knowledge that the software provider has and tries to tune that and get that live for their customers. Software as a service came along and said, we're just really going to deliver to you an end user functionality. So you can go to your browser and just log in and we're going to manage the infrastructure and we're going to manage the upgrades and really simplify that whole process for the bank. And they no longer need to have the piece of hardware, right? That's right. Not only do they not have to have the hardware, so it's a much lower total cost of ownership, they don't have to have the expertise of how to install it, how to make sure it's running, how to do the upgrades. So just a much more simplified process and allows the bank to focus on innovation and customer experience and not keeping up upgrades of the software and making sure they have the correct infrastructure stack. Earlier, you mentioned that a lot of the reasons why we're seeing a lot of change in this space is because customers expect things faster, more convenient, so speed matters a lot. Are there other recent technological advancements that have made it to this space of fintech? Yeah, I think there's been several technological advancements. I think if you look at just the increased compute power over the last few years, just the ability to process large volumes of data, unstructured data, and what that can do for both efficiency and decision-making at the bank. That's a nice complement to driving that overall customer experience. I also think that the orchestration tools and the systems of engagement really provide the bank a level of efficiencies that they weren't able to get from the more traditional point solutions that they came from. Your EVP of product development and engineering at Encino, which I saw as a company founded by bankers or people that were familiar with this industry, mainly because they found some inefficiencies in the process. Can you talk in more detail about what Encino does? Sure. You're right. Encino was founded by bankers for bankers. And we intimately have a familiarity and an understanding of the inefficiencies and the complications involved at a bank and the processes that they need to do to do business and delight their customers. And so Encino was created to really digitize and optimize processes at the bank and help a bank better engage with their customers, both face-to-face or digitally. And some examples of that would be a deposit account opening process. So you want to open a checking account at a particular financial services institution. Traditionally, that's a complicated process where you had to go in the bank and you had to show your ID and a banker sitting in the branch would have to swivel chair between multiple copy paste different applications because of the point solutions. Well, now banks can offer that digitally to their customers 
and not even have to have them come in a branch. Another example would be very complex commercial lending, which requires lots of documentation and the bank needs to be sure that all the documentation with no exceptions has been collected and do complicated analytics to understand the financials and make sure that this is a good deal that makes sense for them to put on their books. And in this space, particularly banking, we're starting to see what it's called cloud banking. Can you explain this concept a little bit more? Sure. I like to talk about it in terms of creating the agile enterprise in banking. And so what I mean by that is I talked earlier about in a commercial lending process, I may need to collect several pieces of documentation from you. Well, over time, if I'm able to analyze and understand what exceptions I'm consistently making to that policy or procedure or what's effective and ineffective, I want to make changes to that policy and become even more efficient and more effective in my processes. Well, that's what banking in the cloud allows. It allows the bank to really be able to pinpoint their bottlenecks, understand what they are, and make quick and agile changes with clicks and not code to keep up with the changing industry, the changing credit policy, and the changing customer demands. And that's really all about cloud banking is when you're able to innovate new features quickly, you're able to deliver them in the cloud in a way where a bank can efficiently and effectively make changes to that in an ongoing way without calling the software provider or without having heavy IT involvement. That's really an agile enterprise in the cloud for banking. What are some of the components of this cloud-based solution in banking? So at Encino, it comes down to a few different facets. So first we'll talk about the various problems that it can solve at a bank, and then we'll talk about the components of how it solves it. So the various problems it can solve at a bank are anything from how can I quickly open a digital channel so that I can gain more deposits, or how can I make my commercial lending process more efficient? The components that you need to solve those problems are a mixture of a bank's customer or consumer or a place of business facing technology to collect information about applications or documentation, and then complex orchestration across the bank from loan officers, relationship managers, to credit, underwriting, and all the way to loan operations, and having a system of orchestration interaction across all those pieces. And then let's not forget that no cloud banking system sits in isolation. We're a part of a broader ecosystem. And so an integration and an API layer of how you include this cloud banking application of the bank operating system of lending and deposits with the other pieces of the puzzle, like their core or like their front end online banking system that also need to connect into the system of interaction. You brought up an important point, which is that part of this whole system is the integration and being a part of a different ecosystem. One of the things that I saw when I was researching for this is that the cloud-based solution, part of it is built on the Salesforce platform. What are some of the reasons for this, this integration? Sure. So Encino is, as you noted, built on top of the Salesforce platform. So what is really nice there is it's actually not just an integration, but the two applications 
let's take financial services cloud or sales cloud, are actually both deployed into the same infrastructure. And so they can really natively speak to one another. And the reason we made that choice was a couple of reasons. One, obviously, Salesforce is the pioneer of software as a service and really has been a market leader in software as a service and then specifically in CRM since since the beginning of, of their their really rise and, and growth. And so picking that platform has been incredibly strategic to us for multiple reasons. One, my team can really focus on building banking features. We're not worried about the infrastructure. And there's so many pieces of platform as a service that we're able to utilize from Salesforce. And that has just made our time to market just be incredibly quick and our focus to be able to focus really on those banking features and not the platform and not the infrastructure and take advantage of a lot that Salesforce has to offer in terms of software as a service. So that's number one from a technical perspective. But there's more. And naturally, from a business perspective, one thing that I admire about Salesforce is they've created this incredible ecosystem that they call the App Exchange. They have over 4,000 different companies that have built either a connector or on top of Salesforce and have joined their ecosystem. And they've created really an open ecosystem and saying, hey, anyone who wants to come build their application on top of or connected to Salesforce can. And so this business model allows customers to say, okay, if I join the Salesforce ecosystem, I can download an electronic signature provider of my choice, right? Or a co-browser application of my choice. And really with the click of a button, begin to add more and more into their environment without having to go out and create all of these manual integrations. And so joining that business ecosystem and being able to tie a bank operating system to CRM and that overall ecosystem, we felt was a really strategic business play for us on top of the technical one I discussed earlier. Exactly. Just a quick note, for those that aren't familiar with what CRM is, can you explain what this is? Sure. CRM is customer relationship management. And what it really allows an institution to do, and I'll speak specifically as the example of banking, is to have one place where they can really understand and maintain all the information and all the interactions about their customer. Exactly. And in terms of collaborating with another company like Salesforce, in your opinion, what makes a partnership between other tech companies effective? Well, I think there's a technical component to it, which is having APIs and an open system that makes it easy for others to integrate and build to your application. So that's a very important piece. And that when you take an upgrade, it doesn't break that integration and you're not in a brittle situation because that doesn't make customers happy. So I think Salesforce has done an incredible job of that and understanding backwards compatibility and open APIs. And, and I think that's a key piece of creating an ecosystem. I think the second key piece is understanding the business nuances to an ecosystem. So how does the 
field work together in sales and go to market? And how do different companies that all exist in the ecosystem also play well together? And I think Salesforce has also done a really nice job at that. They have several events a year where they bring their partners together. Sometimes it'll be a FinServe specific vertical deep dive, and sometimes it'll be a general partner event. Um, But they're very welcoming And so I think that that's an important part of when you're building an ecosystem. And we at Encino have done something very similar. We know that the bank operating system can't live in isolation, that banks are going to need a core. They're going to need a digital online banking, which they may build themselves or they may buy from another company. And that how we create open APIs and provide connectivity into those other systems is important and how we create a welcoming business atmosphere for our partners to build to us and for us to build to them and go to market together is important. In addition to what you just mentioned, I saw that you've talked about additional things and responsibilities that need to be defined and talked about with the other tech partner, like intellectual property ownership, terms of renewal or termination, customer data usage protection. Can you talk more about these things that need to be defined? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, when your customer comes to do business with you, there's certain expectations that you agree to with them and your overall stance on whose data is it, right? For us, any data that's input into our system, it's our customer's data, it's their environment to own. They decide who gets access to it and when, not us. Those core principles of how you do business are important. And if you want customers to trust you and remain in your ecosystem, you need to make sure that partners have a similar point of view on the overall ecosystem. And so discussing those upfront and having rules of engagement and overall company expectations of how you and your partners engage with your customers is an important thing to outline in the beginning. What are some different ways in which we can handle the intellectual property ownership when we are working with another company and we're, you know, using their APIs and we're creating APIs. Can you give some examples of of different situations or scenarios for this? Sure. I think, you know, when you think about IP, to me, it is somewhat simple in that if you build it, it's your IP and, and making that clear and agreed upon matters. But I think if you back it up a level, rather than focusing on the specific legalities of IP, what matters most is picking partners that align with your vision. And it's really important. You can't go pick a partner because they have one feature function that you don't have and your customers want it. If that particular partner wants to compete with you or has significant overlap in business. And so picking right partners matters and understanding strategically where they're going and where you're going and how you're going to work together is really the biggest part of avoiding IP issues than just the legalities of contracts and how people work together. I want to switch gears for a bit and talk in more detail about developing software in the fintech space. What is the process for developing software here? Is there a software development cycle in fintech? So I think it it does really wildly differ fintech to fintech. 
Mm-hmm. You know, some are in a continuous delivery cycle, some are on a three times a year release cycle or a two times year release cycle. I think a lot of it depends. If you're talking about a PFM, which is a personal financial management system that I'm running on my phone to help me save more, I can treat that much more like an app like Facebook or Instagram, where it can be in a continuous delivery mode because a little blip here or there is probably not. It can be addressed quickly and move on. If you're talking about serving the largest financial services institutions in the world and putting out a new release could bring down their lending systems, it's incredibly important. And the fact that you're a part of an ecosystem, that you give your customers time to go through their regulatory processes of testing releases and promotion to production in a more traditional way. And so I do think it very much varies from fintech to fintech. Here at Encino, we are a very agile shop. We are very innovative and big on customer feedback and working with our customers and continuously innovating. But we have to balance that with the regulatory landscape that our customers live in and making sure that we're sensitive to their policies and procedures and giving them proper notification and time on how they consume releases. What are some of the ways in which you gather customer feedback? So there's a few different ways. One is Encino has built a state-of-the-art community, which all of our customers join electronically when they join Encino. Or, or, and what they're able to do there is submit enhancement ideas. They're also able to research knowledge base for questions They're able to ask each other questions and interact on how they're using things. So our product managers spend a lot of time looking at those enhancements ideas and understanding what our customers are looking for. In addition to that, we're constantly reading and attending and speaking at industry conferences because what's the next big idea? Looking at some of those alternative lenders that we talked about earlier, how are they trying to disrupt and what do we need to do to provide our banks with that same modern technology. And then the final way is really just getting out there and listening and working with your customers. We spend a significant amount of our time with our customers in advisory group meetings, one-on-one with our customers, and just making sure we really have a pulse on where their business is going and make sure we align. And Sino is a company that's also devoted to increasing the number of women in STEM professions. And I know you're part of this effort. You're very interested in this space. What are some of the things that can be done to encourage women to consider pursuing a career in STEM? Sure. Thank you for bringing this up. And let's devote a little bit of time to this because you're right. It is something I'm incredibly passionate about. I think that we've all seen a bigger focus over the last few years with Me Too movements, et cetera, on increasing the women in executive level positions and increasing the number of women in tech. And that is super exciting, but our numbers are not anywhere near where they need to be. And so we need to keep talking about this in every forum that we can. And we need to keep encouraging each other to stick with this field and encouraging new young women to not shy away from technology in their studies, to give themselves a chance to have a seat at the table as far as technology jobs go. We know this is continuing to be a growing field and I don't see any chance of it slowing down. And so really encouraging each other as females to continue studies and to continue 
roles and jobs in this profession is something that I believe really strongly in. And the reason I believe, not just because I'm a female in technology, which is certainly part of it, but when I just put my business hat on as an executive at the company, I truly believe that we get better business outcomes with a diverse team. And that's not just women and men. That's not just where you're from. It's also what school did you go to? What experiences have you had in your life? And when we surround ourselves with a team of diverse thinking, that's how we get creative. That's how we challenge the status quo. And that's how we innovate. And I truly believe, and especially in a product development and an engineering organization, where this is as much creativity and innovation as it is science and engineering, having a diverse team matters so much. And so it is really important to me to devote time and effort at helping push diversity in technology and specifically in fintech. You mentioned a lot encouraging other women, supporting them, you know, women to women. I know we have men that listen to the show. In your opinion, in what ways can they also help with this effort at their workplaces? Great point. I mean, this isn't just a women issue. I think it's a people issue. And I think it's how can we all be more cognizant and aware of how we allow each other to bring our authentic self to work. And what I mean by that is I'm a person and you're a person. We're not just women in tech, right? I'm not just living in the state of North Carolina from the state of Virginia, who's lived in the state of Utah, right? I'm, I'm Trisha Price, and that's something different than everybody else. And so I can't come to work and spend all my energy pretending to conform or pretending to be like the guy next to me. I need to be myself. And I think as men and women, the more we can allow each other to be individuals, support each other in our individuality, and really respect that at the workplace and know that that's how we get the best team and the best work product. That's really the answer. And I think that's true whether you're a man or a woman. And so, you know, that's really my advice to everybody. You know, when you talk about the female issue in particular, you know, I think it is important for men to notice if you're in a group of all men and there's not women there, just how do you carry yourself? What are the things you joke about and talk about? And how are you inclusive? But again, that comes back to my earlier point. Is that really men versus women? Or are there men in your group who also don't like to watch the NFL this weekend and they're standing there with nothing to add? And so the more we can see each one of our team members and colleagues and friends as individuals and treat everybody as an individual, the less the women and man thing becomes an issue. Exactly. So keeping an eye out and making sure everyone's engaged and included. Some examples of this in my experience is there would be coworkers that would ask the quiet person, like, what do you think of what we're discussing? So sort of to trying to include them in the conversation. Other things are making sure you have conversations with your manager about your accomplishments and that kind of thing. Are there particular examples that you value from your experience, like looking back from other coworkers that help build a more inclusive environment? That's a great point. I think there's two things that you kind of got to there, which is one, creating the inclusive environment and two, not being shy to self-promote. And I don't like to make generalizations, but I think in general, we've seen women are less likely to self-promote than men. Although to the earlier point, there are certainly some men who are shy and, and may not feel comfortable in that capacity either. And so I think, you know, understanding the importance and the appropriateness of self-promotion, because there can be too much of that. 
but not being shy to say, hey, this is what I want and this is where I'm going and this is what I think I'm good at and can you help me get there on the other pieces? We all need to be able to do that. And the more you can do that and the more you can take charge of your own career, the better chance, I think, of you getting what you want and, and the role you want. And whether that's a leadership position or just a different job at the company, being able to put yourself in the best spot to be happy in your career does require self-promotion and speaking up. And so I think that's an incredibly important point that you brought up. Exactly. Other things that I think of are in recruiting, try to involve some women in the interview process, you know, as, as interviewers can also help. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. I think having other women interview is and be involved is really important to make people feel more comfortable. And I think you know, people often ask me, how have you been able to recruit such a large amount of women on your team? And 50% of my direct reports, which are leaders of one of the top growing fintech companies in this country, 50% of them are women. And as you know, that's not easy to do. And people often ask me, how did you do it? And I say all the time, well, number one, if you don't interview women, you're not going to hire women. So make sure that you're seeing enough women candidates before you make what is the best decision for you and your company. But then the flip side is what's going to make a woman want to work at your company and be attracted to come interview or say yes to the job. And I think for most of us, seeing a welcoming environment where I can be my authentic self and I'm going to be appreciated for my opinions and ideas and my accomplishments, whether I'm a woman or a man, is very important. And I think being able to express that and show that through the interview process is incredibly important to attract top talent, top female talent. Definitely. Well, Trisha, thank you for coming on the show and talking about fintech and software development. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 